Hi, I'm Michael Croker, and this is Park Life, a deep dive into the theme park and attractions industry. This time around, I'm sitting with Scott Whitehouse. Scott was a live show announcer at SeaWorld on Queensland's Gold Coast for 13 years. A seasoned professional MC and voice artist, he is also owner-operator of Art Productions. I'm sure you'll enjoy getting to know Scott in a chat recorded on the eve of him serving as MC for the annual Australian Amusement, Leisure and Recreation Association Conference and Trade Showcase. If you're enjoying the Park Life podcast, please be sure to rate, review and share. It all helps in raising the podcast profile. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to it. Okay, so I'm sitting with Scott Whitehouse from Art Productions and someone who spent many years with SeaWorld on the Gold Coast. So Scott, thanks for sitting down for an episode of Park Life. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's good to be here. Park Life, the podcast that's taking over the world. Please, that's not entirely true. Well, you know, they called it SeaWorld, Movie World. This could be <laughs> the episode that sets the world on fire. Could burn it down too. Let's see what happens. <laughs> now, Scott, tell us a little bit before we jump into your Park Life journey what you're doing currently with art productions and that's obviously your business but what what does that business do for you well that business i do a lot of multimedia <coughs> production uh so I'm, one i'm comparing still out doing events but uh contracting to a lot of different event organizers uh so uh, for example over the last number of years been doing things like the ray white awards around the country when they do those do a lot of the content for those the uh, one of the funniest ones most recently was we did the microdose conference in LA uh, from the Gold Coast we were producing it from or producing part of the content from the Gold Coast for LA and microdose of course is the introduction of all the illegal different mushrooms and fun and all those sorts of things uh, the one that Mike Tyson famously said he died while having mushrooms and had an experience and came back to life he was one of the speakers so um, creating all of that content and it's amazing you end up working from uh, on the Gold Coast, but you're doing things for there um, at the moment. Also, I'm doing voiceovers for Mr. Weisscribe or hand-drawn videos who create content for all sorts of things. They were a Brisbane-based company. Well, the two people who ran it, call it a company, moved over to, um, to Italy for six months. Decided, <coughs> we like it here. Stayed there, that was five or six years ago, but we're doing things for uh, Octeti Mining for all their health, health and safety training videos and they send a script, I voice it, it goes off to somebody else somewhere in the world, they do, a, they do the graphics for it. Um, so it's all, all sorts of bits of content like yeah. that and then, um, and then working on other events on whether it's on camera or whatever needs to happen because in this industry as you know you've got to be multitasking. Yeah and I think what you've described there beautifully is that you've got a, a head for the audiovisual production aspect but then also the upfront skills of voice and voiceover and on mic, which is how I got to know you. You had a career in radio too, which yep. kind of lit the paper for you. If we did go back in time, what drew you to radio in the first place and how did that career start? It's funny because I didn't, I decided when I was saying I was 14 or 15, I wanted to be a radio announcer and I was in a small, little country town and uh, in the days of work experience 
I went, uh, I want to go to Brisbane and do my work experience at the at what was then Stereo 10, 4IP, all the different iterations that have been there. And the teachers went, oh, we don't know if you're allowed to leave the actual local area to do your work experience. So they had to go to the education department and get, yeah, you can. And the following year, everybody was doing their own work experience. But so I went down there, did, uh, did some work experience there, got the bug for it, went and did some work at, experience at Channel 10 and just throughout all the, throughout uh, year 11, year 12, ended up doing straight math science, which sounds stupid when you're talking about being in this sort of industry, but always hedged the bets on that. And then um, fortunately, I, I just always wanted to do it. And I was working at a roller skating rink in Ipswich. And I was uh, DJing there and session managing. And one of the guys who had been there previously was working in radio and he, and we, he was, came back one night to do some stuff. We hit it off next thing. And he actually said, because the program manager in Toowoomba said, oh, I'm looking for somebody to do Midnight to Dawns. Does anybody know anybody? And he said, oh, I know this young guy. I've met him a while ago. He could be good. And he went, he said my name. And the guy said, hang on, I think his tape's on my desk. I sent out air checks and went, sure enough, my tape was on his desk. I get a phone call, get to do one night at the radio station. Next week was two nights. Within a month, I was the permanent Midnight to Dawn announcer at 4GR in Toowoomba. And that's where it all started. I was 19 years old, having a great time. 19? 19. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Did you have mentorship? Throughout that period <coughs> leading into it, um, the guy, Kevin uh, Salter was his name, uh, who, who was in radio at the time, who helped get me into it. He, he helped a lot. Uh, but prior to that, I, I was doing like uh, Toastmaster courses and other things like that. Uh, but it was really just fumbling around trying to get into it at that point. Mm. But fortunately, but one of the things in radio in the old days, I don't think it happens much these days from my listening to it, was you do a regularly, the program director was listening to a cut down air checker. They'd tape an hour of the program and somebody would cut it down and then you're going through, you should be doing it this way, you need to slow down here, this needs to be done a little bit differently, etc., etc. And throughout those formative years, that's where you really learn so much. And then, you know, I ended up going out to Roma, 4ZR Roma, where you had to do everything. You would, you know, from copywriting to producing the ads to interviews to morning programs to uh, anything, you know, even half the time selling. So you got to learn the industry really well. Then yeah. came back uh, back in and, and was able to do all sorts of things in radio at different times, which was, it was a shame to leave it, but it became... As I've talked to a number of people who went, who've left radio over the years, it became very consuming. You couldn't have, you really worked six or seven days a week most of the time, unless you really nailed it into a Cap City breakfast radio where you called the shots. And I remember going to my program director, my son had just been born, and, um, uh, and I said, I'd just like to have one weekend off a month. He said, it'll never happen. <laughs> a month later, I was working at SeaWorld. Yeah, it right. It was that quick. So that's a, that's a good segue. Did, was that a motivator for you to look to get out from radio when you realised it's not going to balance with life. my lifestyle? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I, I had been thinking about it for a while because there are, you, know, you come to a point where you go, is there more in life and what you're doing? And then when my son was young and my wife was pregnant and my son's coming along, how do I spend more time with them? And just that comment was, it'll never happen. Hmm. I'm going this isn't going to work and um, saw the ad interesting enough the following weekend in the paper let, for, let, let's describe that ad yeah it was for for an announcer at SeaWorld yeah I uh, can't remember all the details of it but announcing the shows at SeaWorld 
And I had a mate up there who, who looked at me and said, mate, you'd be great at that. And I went, what the hell, through, through the ad, through, through an application. And um, next thing I know, you're on the other end of the phone while I'm actually on air at one point. I did, but, I called you, yeah. you were on air. <laughs> yeah. And I remember, I remember that call, because I remember you asking me to hold, because you had to do a back announce or something. Yep. And I heard you do the back announce, and then you came back and took the call. And I remembered thinking as that was happening, that's the gig that I would have loved to have been doing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had yeah. dreams of radio mm. as a young guy, and then here was this person doing it, coming across or looking to come across and do yeah. what I was doing. Yeah, well, the thing for me too was I'd always loved doing the live announcing, not just on the, on the radio, but actually out at, at venues. And at, at one point we had a situation where I was the night announcer and I'm getting sent out to do gigs for clients like at clients' workplaces because they hated the breakfast announcer who was a show <laughs> pony and was always, and could never just compare an event or do stuff. And, I, and it, it, that became a little bit uncomfortable at one point because, because as you know, with live announcing, it's, it is very different to being on radio. I don't know how many people I've seen from television and radio who, oh, well, we've got them emceeing this particular event and you go they are just hopeless they're not in their little confined box they're not with a, a camera in front of them and somebody pointing go now they're different and do disciplines this. yeah, yeah and, they, and that's no disrespect no. to those people no. i can't do what the very best of those people can do mm. but i'll i'm happy to stand against any of them on a stage because i feel comfortable there and that's part of the reason that seawall was great was going there and boy it was uh, going from it was interesting because in some ways I slowed down because I wasn't working at the frenetic pace that I had been in commercial radio. But then there was that steep learning curve of yeah, dolphins, seals, skiers, three breeds of animals that you... Sorry, I didn't say that about skiers. <laughs> please, please make my post-production <laughs> editing process as easy as you can. <laughs> hey, I'm still good mates with lots of those skiers. So but you're right, that, 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 that was walking into a whole different universe. Yeah. Can, we, can we just talk about that? What was that transition like for you? Because it's one thing to have those set of skills where you can comfortably and confidently get out on stage on mic. Mm. But how was that learning curve? Well, a lot of it too was the, the breadth of the, of the script was a large part because for certain things, it was just, here's 15 minutes of dialogue. And I hadn't really worried so much about learning 15 minutes of dialogue. And I'm kind of... After a while, probably after I'd been at SeaWorld for a number of years, I forgot to learn the dialogue and just winged it, which I sort of was able to get around because I started to become more of the boss but, <laughs> of that department. But, but also you rely on those skills and experience. But, but then also the <clears throat> with radio, you still have that anything could happen at any time moment, but it is still a little bit more controlled. Mm. And as you know, if you're at a place like SeaWorld, you walk out onto the stage and the dolphins are due to come out and the head trainer goes, good luck, earn your money, I'm recalling the dolphins and they may not turn up, so you're just talking for the next five minutes until the dolphins may turn up. Mm. Or a skier takes a bad fall and is getting carted out on a stretcher out of the water. Where do you go to? And like you and I had a lot of discussions during that time and there was a lot of teaching that you were doing mm. and educating you were doing for me from your experience from having announced those shows for so long that you know I still talk to people today about when things go wrong stop talking change down a gear go back to first or second because if you the faster you talk the more words you have to say mm. 
give yourself a chance to breathe, give yourself yeah. a chance to think and look at what's going on around you. And if you generally talk about what's happening around you, then something will come to mind. Mm. Yeah, presence. And people, and people will be involved in it too. So is it good for your skills to grow you and expand you beyond oh, radio? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, it, it just was a... And I, I think the time that I was at SeaWorld, what, we were sort of at the end of the time when it really was go as crazy as you want, you know, go, take it to that nth degree. There was that, we were really aiming for some pretty top level stuff there at the time. Because uh, I don't, don't, I haven't been to the parks that much to see different things, but I've talked to various people. And sometimes it's, I don't know whether it's, there is as much, we were always working, there was always somebody taking notes on a show. There was always somebody with some advice. And, <laughs> it's am, am I wrong? <laughs> yeah, but that was always good. And, yeah. and there were times too when, uh, I remember once, I, I think I've, I said to you when you were critiquing somebody, I said, hang on, just put away the notes for a moment, just watch the show because you'd been getting into the super critical point of the grammar and the this and the that. And then you were so close to it that you weren't seeing that everybody was sitting on the edge of the seats with this announcer. They were doing everything wrong, but people just loved them. Yeah. And so fine, okay, and then it was, okay, now I'm saying, they'll never be a technically good announcer, but their warmth and their presence, the public respond to. It's funny, isn't it? Because I think as part of my communication coaching that I'll do on the outside of being in the parks is talk about presence and authenticity and that if presence and authenticity is in place, your audience will forgive a thousand other things. Mm. But as long as they're sitting there and listening to you and they believe you and they're engaged with you and you seem authentic, they'll forgive everything else. Yeah. And it's one thing to be articulate and, and have a precision in your delivery. But if it's all of that with a lack of authenticity and warmth, then it's really for nothing. And I guess yeah. radio teaches you that as well, right? Because yeah. in that discipline, the person in the car listening needs to feel at drive time or in morning crew, they're talking to me. And well, one of the first things I remember ever learning was people here with one set of ears. You're not talking to a lot of people. When somebody gets up at a, at a conference and they say, hi everyone, I go, okay, you've lost me because you're now talking to the whole room. You're not talking to me. And that's me being picky. Interesting. But because, I'm going, hi, how is everybody? Everybody good today? And what about you over here? Or, yeah, how are you today? Everybody feeling good? Or, I'm saying everybody there as well, but using terms where you can to involve the individual. Mm. How are you today? Mm. Those things. Suddenly, people, they, they just want to... They want a one-on-one -on -one connection, regardless of, of what you're doing. And, and that's where things can get lost very easily, whether you're in any sphere of, of, of communication. You've got to be talking one-on-one, -on -one, the individual listener, and even that thing of, and I'll, I'll go back to as simple as, <coughs> I, I don't, don't want to get political, because, but I'm using it to, enha to enhance what the communication is. People wonder why Trump got voted in. Well, if you've got all those people in the middle of America who 
have 80% unemployment, have all the different issues with drugs in their community, and you've got then the White House of the time talking about, we've lifted this many billion people around the world out of poverty. And you're sitting in middle America and you are not actually, and you're living in poverty and you've got all the problems, you're going, well, maybe we should be a separate country and you'll give us some money to increase it. That's my take from a distance on, and that's a communication thing. Well, and it's happening with federal election here. There's people going on about, well, why aren't let, they? Let me just say the views of the interviewee yeah. do not reflect the views of the yeah. interviewer and producer of the Parklife podcast. And, yes, and I'm not talking about whether I, Trump is uh, just just, to, just to correct, yeah. whether Trump is good or the uh, various ministers. I'm talking about the communication of what it is. And, yes. and even this morning, I was listening to somebody talk about a federal election. Why is everybody? They're all they're doing is talking negative. Can somebody tell us a positive thing that's going to happen in the future? Yeah. It's all negative. And you go, how many other people are sitting out there going, I don't want to listen to either of these guys or those people over there until somebody can tell me how my life's going to be. And it's interesting because, again, this is, we're not going to get into yeah. politics for the sake of politics, but no. to make the point around great orators through history, yeah. you can be on either side of the fence about Obama's politics. Great you orator. can't argue his ability as an orator. You can be on two sides of an argument around either John or Robert Kennedy's politics, mm. but you cannot argue great orators. There's one of the great speeches when Robert Kennedy lands, I can't recall where he was landing to speak as part of his race uh, toward presidency in 68. But as he gets off the plane, and he's talking to a largely African-American audience, as he gets off the plane, he's told, and this is forgetting Kennedy's politics, mm. he's told, Martin Luther King Jr. has just been assassinated in, in Atlanta, I believe. And you may want to announce that so people are aware and get ahead of the story. And you can hear this recording, you can watch the footage. Kennedy goes to the lectern. There's no, he's now off script. Yep. There's no speech. And he opens with the announcement that Martin Luther King Jr. has been assassinated. And you can hear this group wail through the audience of ah oh, and grief. And then he quickly follows it by talking about, I know what it means to lose someone. I lost my brother to an assassin's bullet. Mm. And then he starts quoting Greek philosophy and talks about forgiveness and talks about nonviolence. And when you watch that and understand this man's off script mm. with a message here where he, he could just come straight out of the gates and be political, Exactly. But he's, he comes across as human, empathetic, and he's got all the disciplines in there of great delivery and even pacing and all those things. And I look at someone like Obama, again, you could argue yeah. the politics, but you can't argue no. the man could talk in such a way that felt inclusive, and yes, we can, even if we didn't, exactly. <laughs> but he could communicate the message. Yeah. And even if it's being done in such a way as to manipulate the masses, yeah. And we could argue all the politics, yeah, uh, but we're talking about the art form uh, of communication. And that, and, that, and that was my whole point yes. on it too. It, it, I'm not talking either side of politics. Uh, I, it, look, it, I've, I've, I've argued with people around Trump yep. and said on particular subjects, if, if you get past his inability to self-represent and articulate the message in that moment, mm. but go to what the moment is that he is attempting to articulate yeah. in, in his own way, 
there may be something in that. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that for all of his positions, because <laughs> exactly. this is not a political and, podcast. And, and as, as we know, it, everybody is listening for triggers on everything. Of course. It, it, <laughs> whenever he opens his mouth, everybody's got their trigger warnings up. And, 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 and again... When, Look, and, I, I sit and listen to Biden these yeah, days, yeah. And, and I have my fingers crossed that <laughs> he'll stick the landing, yeah. and the point that's trying to be made is going to land. And, and yeah. I'm not anti-Biden or pro-Biden, no, no. but I'm always listening from a communication coach perspective. Yeah. What are the choices they're and, making? And, and to bring it back, I suppose, the communication also deals with leadership. And I believe we've talked about in the past, leadership is about taking somebody by the hand and, taking, and getting them to come with you on the journey. Mm. And that's the same for communication. Mm, when you're talking, nice. you're talking about Robert King, you, it's about this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it, and then being willing to go, so you've got a differing point of view, well, let, let's have a chat about that. Now, I may not agree, and, I, and at the end of it, you still may not agree with that, the, op- the point that's been brought mm. up. However, and, and you can say, well, di- with respect, I don't agree. However, you could turn around and go, I hadn't looked at it that way. Yes. We're going to take that on board. I'm going to go and talk to my advisors about that and we'll put that into the mix. All of a sudden, this person who had a problem with you has now been heard. Like they talk about, somebody saw me. Well, somebody heard you. And that's enough for them to go, okay, I may not still like them, but at least they listen to me. And I'm talking a lot in my sessions outside of all of this about active listening, Mm. which is what you're talking about. That It's not passively hearing, but to genuinely listen to someone means clearing your head of opposing views, of waiting for your chance to speak and counter-argue, but to actually be 110% present and allowing yourself to potentially be changed, to allow yourself to potentially feel something different. To actively listen means to clear every other bit of noise in your mind and allow yourself the opportunity for change. Now, if two people can do that, now there's gonna be a really robust, intelligent, exchange of thoughts and ideas even if we completely disagree yep and you can walk away and i've, I've got friends who one a very good friend and we don't agree on he actually said to me scott but he's my oldest friend he said scott if we talk politics you and i are never going to agree on the same thing never but we're still best mates yes have another beer yes uh, and but, but we'll both listen to each other and have a discussion about things but and what, and what you're saying there too a shortened down version of that was somebody said to me if you're not willing to enter a discussion and have your opinion changed you're not in a discussion <laughs> you're in an argument very good and that doesn't mean you have to walk away with a changed opinion no you've just got to be open to what the other person is saying and it might be, I have never thought about that. I never realised. So when you break this down, that's the same philosophy to, to ideally have in a personal, intimate relationship, Absolutely. let alone a group relationship of trying to ignite common thoughts amongst groups as a leader. It's the same principle, mm. isn't it? Well, as a, as a leader, you might tell, say to people, my door's always open to you. But then if they come in and you're not willing to listen to their opinion what was the point in saying my door's always open mm. now you might say i may not agree with you and i'll actually take it back to one time when we were at, at SeaWorld many years ago and I was like you hired me 27 years ago like mm. that's how long ago it was but i remember we were talking about a new show doing something different in a show and 
And I've said to you, yeah, Michael, that's, an, that's a one way we could do it. We could also do this, or we could do this, or this, but at the same time, whatever you'd like, I'm happy to do. I remember one of the other announcers started laughing in the crowd, going, well, why did you even suggest other things if you're happy to do what Michael says? And your response to them was, no, I appreciate the fact that Scott has given me some other alternatives that I may not have thought of, but he's also done me the respect to say, but whatever you choose, I'm happy to do. Mm-hmm. And so if everybody just shuts up and goes, I'm not going to say anything, and because if I say something, it'll rock the boat and the boss won't like me, how, how is that light bulb moment going to happen? Absolutely, yeah. No, it's interesting. You, you've got a good memory for things. <laughs> what, what, what did you enjoy the most at, in those SeaWorld years? And how many years was it at SeaWorld? 13. So, wow, okay, that's a big chunk of your life. <laughs> yeah. What, what did you enjoy the most about that work when you found your rhythm? You had a handle on the natural history of the animals. You could articulate that in presentations. You're across the skiing discipline. What, what gave you the most satisfaction in that work? I think the most satisfaction, probably a number of people have probably said this to you at different times, is I loved it when it all went wrong. Yeah. When it went to hell in a handbasket. Because, and I've said to other people too, and I, I remember saying at the time when, uh, when I was in a more senior role and you're dealing with everything else, and I could step onto stage and go, nobody can annoy me for the next 30 minutes while I'm on stage. Yeah. I'm in control of this stage, I own this, this is mine, these are my people, I want to get them looking at, not necessarily me, but what's going on. Mm. I want to get them involved. And I always felt comfortable there. And then when things really went bad, it was like, okay, time to show, I don't go off script and I can see what happens here. And I don't know, you would have experienced it, how many times you come off stage and people go, uh, the trainers or the skiers go, what did you talk about out there? Because I don't know, <laughs> that was a long time of nothing. Yeah, and you go, yeah. well, that's just, that was the job. And it's interesting, uh, Jackie Meissen, uh, dropping a name here. Great talent. Uh, great talent. Yeah. And she was working for us, but casually she'd come back to do more work. And she was doing some theatre in Brisbane. And she said to me afterwards, she said, we're in dress rehearsals and the stage sets are collapsing and other things are going off. And all these actors, and she said, a lot of them are experienced actors, are just fumbling their lines and losing their places and doing it. She said, I just found I was powering on. And then I just went, she said, I suddenly realised this was all the SeaWorld experience yes. of, of having to ad lib. Yes. And she said, I didn't, hadn't realised how much and she'd studied acting and yes. done everything, but she took that little granule that 100%. she'd learnt there onto the stage, whereas these others were so used mm. to everything works properly, everything, that, and everybody hits Absolutely. I call that, it's not me that coined the phrase, but that's the flow state. When you've done your 10,000 hours with something, mm. and then you're no longer thinking about the process, you are the process, mm. and the process is you, and then you're in a flow state, and you're out of your own way, and then the best of you is coming through. And it's almost like coming out of a dream when it's done. And other people are going, like you said, for the skiers or whatever, say, how did you even, what was all that about? And you're kind of hitting the ground going, I'm not even sure. But <laughs> yeah. it's, it's usually when you get yourself into that, into that flow state. I found SeaWorld great for that as well. It was such a dynamic show base uh, space. I also found it challenging too. Uh, how did you transition through it? You have to coexist with all these micro groups. So the ski team is its own culture within a big culture. 
mm-hmm. then the sea lion team is a micro culture within a big culture then the announcing team is its own culture independent of the other cultures but has to coexist and infiltrate it every day so your social skills have mm. to come up i i think i've found that you looking back on it i i believe the best way was to be yourself and let them see who you were and the other part was acknowledge this, their skill and skill as well because you may have to talk about things on stage but you've got people who are very skillful whether it's with the animals or whether whether it's with skiing whatever it may be so get their knowledge and if you ask them questions it's amazing how they get on your side uh, and, and I, you were talking about before about whether you about getting that flow state i remember uh, great announcer Ian Holland, Dutchie Holland, who sounded like John Laws, and he actually produced John Laws. And I worked with him in Toowoomba, and at one point there was a debate going on. I remember him writing something, and we had a logbook, and he wrote in, in the first year you know, in radio, you're a DJ. After that, you become a radio announcer. Uh, after about five years, after 10, you become a communicator. Hmm. Uh, that was his, his view of it, and it, uh, it, that stuck with me. And that's, that's great. That happens in those things too. Initially, it's um, oh yeah, I'm doing this, and then after you slip into yeah, I know what I'm doing, That's and I good. know how to take you with me, and that happened. I think that happened at SeaWorld too, as people get to know you. The challenge with that role was that you did have to, you had to get along not only with your own team, but with all these other teams. And I think to your point before, you had to be an inquirer. You had to ask questions, mm. so you could understand and empathise what goes into someone like a Brett Wing, who was you know mm. at the time regarded. Uh, formerly the greatest uh, free, uh, water skier, in show skier in the world. Well, three-time world barefoot champion, undefeated, and all these things. International but, Water Ski Federation Hall of Fame. Absolutely. You know, it, so when you're dealing with these characters, you can't be out there, excuse the pun, winging it. Well, you've, you've got to have a, a depth of understanding just, and respect. Just to put Brett into perspective, Brett was in the Australian Sporting Hall of Fame before Dawn Fraser, wow. before Peter Brock, I didn't and know that. when they would have the Sporting Hall of Fame things, they would actually, hey, Brett, how are you doing? They had that much respect for Brett. Yeah. Like, this is a guy, you know, he couldn't quite get as fast as he won on barefooting because the boat wouldn't go any faster when he broke the world record That's of amazing, 150, 159.6 kilometres an hour or something like that. He wanted to do the 100 mile an hour, but the boat couldn't actually go any faster. When you came to the, the end of that, that era, what was your takeaway when you reflect back on the SeaWorld years? How do you, how do you look back upon that 13-year that tenure? What did it do for you? I I learnt a lot as far as and it ga- it gave me the opportunity because I while I was at SeaWorld you know I started doing the video editing for Chuck for Chuck Gard at the time and entertainment conf- manager who was yeah. entertainment manager for conferences stuff and so we built that up so I learnt that uh, but working with such a diverse group of people and having the opportunity to do a lot of different. Uh, out-of-the-box things because it wasn't just announcing a show it was mixing shows it was creating shows writing shows developing concepts people management the whole lot Mm. so there's a lot I learned like towards the end let's face it in that GFC sort of period things were a stressful period for everybody in it Mm. and that wasn't the the nicest time but even from that you learnt different things Um, yeah I got made redundant at the time and it was that's the way it was, but but I also appreciate, and I was talking about this to somebody the other day, we were discussing it, and I said, uh, and it might be your podcast, but uh, so I'm not trying to say something about you with good just for the sake of it, but 
you called me over to Movie World mm. and also the other guys that you were going to have to make redundant that day, you didn't want us to hear it just in one big meeting from mm. somebody else. Mm. You said, if I'm going to do this, mm. I need to look in your eyes, talk it through. And it was a hard day for you. Mm. I, mm. I can remember that too. And that was a... And I think during that time, I, there, was, there was that respect that you walk away with. You go, yeah, I'm annoyed. I'm out of a job. But as you look back on things, the there are so many good people that I worked with that time, including mm. yourself, who you take those sorts of things into life and you go well I want to be more like that or, I, or that's what somebody should do if you're going to if you've got to deliver the bad news don't get somebody else to do it deliver it yourself mm -hmm. person up do it do, do what you need to do There's, and, and there are and I'm still working with a lot of people from the theme parks on different gigs and some of them are doing huge things mm. around the country was there a was there a performance moment for you that you had pride in Ah, or, or, a, yeah. or a production? Yeah, I, I enjoyed them. I, I, the ski shows that were always fantastic were when we were used to do night fire as well. And you would have that hill for the ski show would be overcrowded and overflowing. You know, like there'd be five, at least 5,000, probably more. Mm. There'd probably 10,000 mm. really if you looked around there. And, and, it was, and you'd do the evening show butting into that. And sometimes you would just get the vibe. I remember it was early days, I'd, early days of announcing. I, I, yeah, you just pick up the audience vibe and you go crazy. And yeah, and I'm running off. And here's again Chuck, because he, he was the manager at the time. And he's actually doing a little applause. I've come back off the ski dock and he's going, Scotty, you've set yourself a standard. If you ever go below that again, I'm going to kick your backside yeah. <laughs> yeah it's great and but but and that was the moment when, to get yeah, that from him yeah yeah and to go that okay validation. that's where i need to be when you now get up and do what you do what motivates you what's your what's your drive like i'm talking to you now on the cusp of the alara conference for 2022 which has had a hiatus for two years of course which is the australasian amusement australian amusement leisure and recreation association beautifully done yeah now you're the man behind the scenes coordinating the, uh, the production elements of that, the, the MC duties. So that's, that kind of work obviously is, is something, as you mentioned at the start, you do a lot of. What motivates you? What, why get up and continue to do that work? What do you get out of that? Well, the first thing is being on stage comparing is the most comfortable thing I can do. Mm. It's sometimes the scariest thing I do, but once I'm on stage, it is, I'm very comfortable. I, I really enjoy being on, st on, on stage. It's about being able to, for me, delivering a product and being successful at it. And part of the role with Alara is, and, and every time I do MC, and I, I do a number of charity gigs and things like that for different people too. And when I turn up as the MC, I'm not turning up as where's my script and how do I, I want to understand the whole program. I want to understand where we're going. So we can take everybody on the journey. I don't want people going, oh, what's happening next? What's going on? Where's this? Where's that? And at the end of the day, my role is not to do a stand-up routine. It's not to do, look at me, look at me, look at me. Mine is, hi, welcome to the conference. This is what's happening. This is where you need to be. These are the exciting things to look out for. And here's our next presenter who's done da 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 and hopefully Michael Croker will be entertaining today. Yes. <laughs> yeah. and then after you're finished, come up, back end it, um, 
make ensure that you get a round of applause, everybody feels good. Maybe highlight some points that I've taken away from your presentation to reinforce to the audience. So, and because quite often it might be five points. Oh, from Michael's this, 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 and this. And people go, oh yeah, I've forgotten about that. It just reinforces, and then move on. I don't need to. It sounds strange. I love being on stage, but I want to minimise my time on stage. Yeah, and you want to be informed. So you're in service to the audience. Yeah, and I want yeah. to make sure that if you're coming up on stage that your presentation is ready to go and mm. you're comfortable with the surroundings and you know I've talked to you beforehand, not, oh, oh, yeah, I'll just keep talking until so-and-so turns up and I hope it all works for them and I know nothing about what it is. I'm just doing my bit. No, that's not it. I'm, I know that I'm hoping that when you stamp on stage, you're comfortable to do your best. You were always a force of nature as a show announcer at SeaWorld. We had an interesting dynamic in our team. You mentioned Andrew Hamilton, a terrific man, who had his own style. And for me, I always heard Andrew as a disciplined, structured orator. Yep. He was planned. He was hyper-articulate. He was measured. He was, he was like a, a precision tool. And I loved that about him. And then he had and, a dry sense of humour. And he was dry. Come in, yeah. and, he, and he would drop the humour in just when it was needed. Yeah. And if you kept up with him, you got it. If you couldn't keep up, you had to think about it. Yeah. But I liked that. I loved that uniqueness about him. And then we had you there. And I always thought having you and Andrew was a perfect balance, counterbalance. I loved announcing on stage with Andrew at the same time. Absolutely. Because you were such a, a, a larger-than-life personality and it was a, a torrent of energy and enthusiasm and for me those were the things that made each of you guys so strong as a, as a, as a unit that. and yeah to me even now I think that was your and you touched on this at the start you talked about the importance of authenticity and, mm. and um, but I also think for you um, I think energy was always a big part of it just like you described yeah. Um, what energy can I bring to this? What personality can I bring to it? Which is really just my personality amplified. Mm. Mm. And then I think that's what people resonate with you. That, oh, this is him amplified. I believe him. Mm. So I'm listening. Yeah, and what, you, what you're going to get off, off the stage is going to be the same. Yes. It might be amplified a little bit more on stage, but quite often it's not. And, and I think that's where best and I'm not talking about comedians comedians are a different breed they can be very mm. quiet very dark mm. very because they're observing life mm. if you look talk about the great comedians most of them aren't funny off stage because they're mm. watching everything for their next mm. comedy bit but the great speakers or the great MCs or the best ones they're the same they're, they're they're who they are they know who they are yes and they haven't got something to hide yes when i'm on stage i don't have to suddenly become somebody different that's right i am so and so this is me yeah. and I, th I think you used a term many years ago somebody used to talk one of the great actors or somebody used to talk about when he walked into the room he wanted to divide it down the middle because either people who hated him or liked him because mm. Mm he was never going to be able to please everybody and he mm. had to be him. He couldn't walk in going, mm. I want everybody here to love me. Mm. And that's the same thing. There's mm. going to be people at the Alara conference goes, mm. well, I don't understand him. He's too big. Yeah, or it's not my a, taste. Yeah, yeah, or, you know, what, whatever. But as long as you are yourself and they can see that when we're a networking function, they're yes. oh, okay, yeah, that, that's who you are. That, that's fine. And there'll be other people who love you. But if you 
drift only to the people who love you, you're not going to get a reality check as to what you could be doing wrong also. Well, I'm going to give you a reality check now and tell you, up. tell you that I love you. I've always known that, Michael. You know, all those times in Studio A. It's good to uh, it's good to sit here and capture some of your journey. We mate. could talk for too many hours. Yes, we really we, could, and, and and we we simply can't. But mate, thank you yeah. for sitting down and doing <laughs> this. Well and, done with uh, the uh, podcast because it's one of those things which is always a challenge to do. And to, uh, I, I think it's great because this type of thing it's an industry that people don't really understand a lot about but there's been a lot of great people that have come out of this industry yeah and people wouldn't even realize they worked in this industry mm, yeah absolutely no thank you mate thanks for sitting down good to get your story down no worries michael good on you